Well, here we are. Man, I can't believe that I... This is the end of four messages. I just arrived. But it's been wonderful to be here and I'm not leaving you. We're actually using your very comfortable home uh, till I go back, uh, which is around the 20th of March. I'm going to be at Bible Truth uh, for the next two weeks. And we're so grateful to you. Uh, Jane likes it here. Not only because she was baptized here, but she likes the house. And you fixed it up great. And it is a blessing. And uh, we want to know, want you to know we appreciate that because uh, I won't be preaching here, but I'll still be living here, which is a blessing. And uh, we are just thankful for that. I want to just pray that the Lord would speak tonight. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge we had yesterday. And we thank you for the privilege of being witnesses to the Lord Jesus. What a privilege is ours to speak about your saving work. And we pray tonight again, you'll open our hearts to not only hear, but do your word. And we pray for this, for our blessing, of course, but for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, you know what we're doing. We're talking about witnessing. This was a theme carried through from yesterday. It's the Lord who calls us to witness. <clears throat> and, uh, hey, I gave you ten this morning. You've got a break tonight. Six more lessons on witnessing in troubled times. This time from the other deacon. There were six of them in Acts 6, uh, looking after all that widow's distribution. Routine church work. But man, did they respond to the call of God. And uh, Philip was number two, and we're going to talk about him tonight. And you know that uh, Acts 7 and 8 describe very dark days for the early church. Very important to remember the context. Stephen stoned to death. I mean, his best friend, Philip, saw him stoned to death, and then Saul's persecutions reached new ferocity. You think we've got tough days. I mean, if they just uh, uh, shot Malcolm and uh, Aaron was wondering whether he should carry on and then there was a huge persecutor coming into town after you guys, you might wonder, well, that's what it was like. That's the early church. In fact, but I got to chapter 8 and, I, you know, it's a very encouraging chapter. You think this is going to be a downer. I mean... It's just been this martyrdom of Stephen. But it describes an evangelism explosion. It actually tells us that the church was beginning to do at last what Jesus asked them to do just when he ascended to heaven. You remember what he said, last words, Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you look at this chapter of Hey, it's beginning to happen. You see, prior to chapter 8, the Jews, the, the Christians, the believers, had remained in Jerusalem. Acts 8 begins with this news that the persecution started, but the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. But what happened to the church? The persecuted church scattered. They scattered, of course, because Acts 1 8 said, be my witnesses, Acts 8, 1 says, a great persecution broke against the church. So, they scattered. Where did they scatter? Well, throughout Judea and Samaria. They actually went just where the Lord wanted them to be. So, this is the first 
encouragement, God uses persecution and trouble to fulfill his purpose and execute his plans. We don't welcome trouble. Who wants persecution? That's something God uses. Uh, and and, and um, actually, when you think about it, it was ultimately after the death of Stephen that the tremendous ministry of the Apostle Paul arose. I believe that was a, the preparative step. He was ready to respond. So it's very exciting to see this happening. I was taking an analogy of that, you know, from my accent that I grew up in England, north of England. Someone said I preached like Alistair Begg. I thought he was talking about my quality of preaching. I was so encouraged, but he just meant my accent. <laughs> what he meant to say is I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and that's why I use PowerPoints. If you miss things because of my accent, you can get it on a PowerPoint. But one of the consequences of growing up in England, we have quirks saying this, but, and one of the things, we love lawns, weed-free lawns, not with this rough grass you guys have, but, you know, that bowling green grass. Oh, you've got to have short green grass. Big fan of that. But we have a challenge that you don't seem to have in Florida. I don't understand it, but we have those little yellow weeds called dandelions everywhere. Do you have dandelions here? I never see them. They're, they're a total menace if you're trying to grow along. Because I've got to tell you, I think about dandelions is they, they spread because of those tiny little seeds. One little kick, one gust of wind, and they blow off and they go everywhere. So I have this lovely English garden with a lawn. I'm so proud of it. And then before I know it, dandelions are growing in the most unlikely places, every nook and cranny in the rocks. And I think, I can't stop these dandelions springing up in these difficult places. But I realize actually being kicked uh, and, and banged around is a good thing from the point of view of dandelions because that's how they spread and grow. <laughs> and why I'm telling you this is that's exactly the church is being kicked out of Jerusalem, and, but it was being persecuted and kicked out of Jerusalem that caused the New Testament church to spread and grow. And where did it spread and grow? Well, like those dandelion seeds in the most unlikely places. We're going to talk about Samaria. It wasn't a likely spot. Ethiopia, man, way in Africa. What's going on? These are not places you expect the church to suddenly spring up so soon. Well, it was spearheaded by the effective witness of Philip and, of course, by persecution. One man, persecution, God's blessing poured forth. What a lesson. Of course, Saul didn't realize what was going on. His frenzied, brutal persecution was actually what was helping the gospel seed to spread. He must have rejoiced about that later. But it was because believers were compelled by his efforts to flee Jerusalem that they took the gospel with them. So, so yes, I found chapter 8 about growth and blessing coming as persecution catalyzed it. A really encouraging chapter. It was a significant progress. And I, I was especially encouraged because I reflected on the fact that this is still happening today in places like China. I mean, the church is going like crazy in China, but it's persecuted. It's more persecuted now. I've been in China a couple of times, pretty quiet. I found a big group of Christians, amazing. 
God led me to a huge group of Christians and they were meeting in peace. Now that was, I don't know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and I have graduate students who are Chinese. They tell me now it's very tough. And yet there were 30 million Chinese Christians. And they're getting more and more and you go, and, and, and I say, how did you ever hear the gospel? Kind of a meeting like this. Well, it's just personal witnesses, joyful Christians. They find the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. They talk about it, and that's how they grow. <clears throat> it's not formal evangelism. Although formal evangelism, as we're going to see, has its place too, very important. But I want to encourage you today, because the Spirit of God is always at work when you witness. I'm calling you to witness, but you see, God can bring astounding blessings to one person. If, if we could just be a bit like Stephen and Philip and boldly and forcefully witness, God's blessing would, would pour out in astounding ways. Because the, the reality was for these deacons, despite the difficulties, nothing could stop them. Death couldn't stop uh, the, the death of um, Stephen couldn't stop Philip. Why? Well, <laughs> he knew Jesus was alive. And it, the Lord is with them by the Holy Spirit. So there we go. The Acts 8 is a tremendous example from Philip how to be a good witness for Christ in troubled times. And the great thing about this example is it's both personal witness and large group evangelism. Just remember, Philip was a regular guy. He was like uh, Stephen. He was doing routine ad admin work. He had a pretty boring job, stopping his sisters fighting and trying to get the food out properly and keeping the records. But he had gifts, other gifts. And, he go, and <laughs> don't think because you're, you're doing some routine job in the assembly that God's not nurturing you. Hey, you don't only have one gift. You might have a special gift, but there was, there was Stephen and Philip, both had other gifts. Of course, his friend Stephen had just been murdered, so this could have had a big effect on Philip. No, seemed to increase his bonus. So this man who was moving from routine work, he was so committed, he was so open to God's leading, and he was a great communicator. It's clear as you read the, the chapter that he drew the crowds. People paid attention to what he said. So he's a model for us. And that's why these characters are in the Bible. A much better model than Sally. I've got to tell you about Sally. She said I would have made a good evangelist. She said, you know that kid who sits behind me at school? Well, I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. Oh, uh, and I said, well, how'd you do that? She said, well, I hit him with my lunchbox. <laughs> now, we're not recommending that model. Uh, what we're uh, wanting to do is what, what is really the way to be an effective evangelist. Philip's example. What does he teach us about what makes a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there are going to be six key things. So, all together today, you've got ten points to remember. I did give the PowerPoint to Malcolm, so if you get desperate uh, and can't remember number nine, you better talk to Malcolm. But six more uh, things that help you to be uh, an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them overlap a little bit, because Philip and uh, 
and Stephen, uh, obviously, were both good witnesses, so some of the things were the same, a little bit the same. But number one about Philip was that he was obedient and courageous. What a combination to be obedient and courageous. I mean, you, you think of the courage. Stephen's death didn't deter him. No amount of opposition could hold him back. These were difficult days, but he particularly showed his courage and his obedience by his willingness to go to Samaria. You think about this. If you know your Bible at all, you'll know it took courage to go to Samaria because Samaria was a very difficult place to go to. You remember what the Gospels say, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. In fact, there was a thousand-year history of hatred and alienation between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was a bit like the Arabs and the Jews today. These were troubled times because the Samaritans actually rejected the Old Testament except for the Pentateuch. They just believed the first five books of the Bible. They rejected the temple in Jerusalem, so central in Judaism. They said, no, no, Mount Gerizim's the place to worship. Remember, that came out in the Lord's conversation in John 4. So what this meant, and you can read about this in secular sources, there were huge clashes between Jews and Samaritans. So the Jews, one time, they went up and destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim. Got to get rid of that. But the Samaritans, what did they do? They retaliated. So they go to Jerusalem, pass over time, and they spread bones all over the... Uh, uh, temple floor to pollute it so that it would desecrate the Jews' most holy place. And this was going on all the time. So this was not a friendly place to go to. But Philip remembered something. Something you need to remember. The Lord's example. If you're ever in any doubt, you know, there was a little movement, I don't know whether he had it here in Canada, where people were wearing bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? wasn't a bad idea. Good question. What would Jesus say? Well, he thought, John 4, the woman at the well. He must needs go through Samaria. Uh, he knew Christ's call was to reach out to the Samaritans, to all men. So what did he do? Well, he followed the Lord's example. Sometimes we do all kinds of complicated teaching about the, the, the nature and the person of Christ. But the bottom line is, the Lord calls us to do what he did. So, so, Philip did what we must do. This is key. He, in obedience, he put prejudice aside, huge prejudice, and that must include for us racial prejudice, and recognize the Gospels for everyone. I mean, Jesus died for the whole world. We heard of that from uh, Micah yesterday. There are zero no-go areas when it comes to evangelism. There are some very tough places. Praise God for people like Micah who go there. But you see, remember, every human being on this planet is made in God's image. We heard about that from Genesis yesterday. And Christ died for every one of them. Every one of them. And we're going to come back to that. It's a very important point. But, but I want to get to number two quickly. Yes, Philip was obedient and courageous, but he got on with the job by proclaiming Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, Philip proclaimed Christ. Well, this is basic stuff. But the gospel, remember what it is. It's about what Christ did. Philip focused on the gospel. 
But you think about this. I mean, he, he could have been rehashing all kinds of old controversies. I, I mean, well, maybe he should have got into advocating the claims of the Jerusalem temple. I mean, that was very important. Hey, perhaps he should have been making a case for the validity of the Old Testament scriptures. These guys didn't even believe all the Old Testament. Surely he's got to get into that. I want you to realize how easy it is in our witness to get into peripheral issues, to be sidetracked from presenting Christ's finished work on the cross. Because sharing the gospel, it means talking about the way Christ died for our sins. That's what the gospel is. You see, <laughs> we know this stuff, but it's since we're only saved by grace and not by works, there's nothing else to talk about but the way you can be saved by the grace and the cross, that, that's the gospel. So preaching Christ means that we focus on his claims, on his work, we tell him how Christ reveals God to us, we talk about his rising from the dead, the way he gives us eternal life, if we respond to his invitation to trust him. I'll come back to the peripheral issues. Of course, you can't neglect stuff like believing the Bible and all that. But, but you see, he did focus on the main thing. The reality is, you know, people forget. You could do everything right. There are some wonderful, good people in this world. But without Christ, you're still alienated from God. That, that's the central issue. A, a little cartoon I've often used about this is one you may not see in the States, but the pirates, they're out at sea, and the big guy says, well, I'm glad that stopping port went off without a hitch. Well, his friend said, why? He said, well, I've been messing up a lot lately, and I think the captain was looking at this visit as a test. His friend said, really? He said, yes, so in less than two hours... We got all the new ropes and sails, we replaced the cannon, we bought food. Hey, and now we're back at sea, skimming along towards the far, far horizon. And his friend said, good for you, mate. You passed the captain's test. He says, darn right I did. And, and, and when the captain comes out here, I'm tempted. Um, what I'm tempted to do when he walks out here is to go up to him and look him straight in the eye and say, okay, Mr. Smarty, point to a mistake. And in the last frame of the cartoon, you found he made the biggest mistake you could ever make. He left the captain on the pier. He got it all together and left the captain behind. I've got to tell you, folks, people say, I've done this, I've done that, I've got it all together. You can do everything right. But going without Christ is a fatal mistake. So that's where we have to focus. It's, it's great to hear all the stuff you did in swimming through life, but this was a fatal mistake. So, what does Philip teach us? Yes, to be obedient to courageous, but to proclaim Christ. Better get that off so you'll start concentrating. You see, what if Philip realized there'd be a much more appropriate time when these misguided Samaritans had come to faith in Christ for him to deal with the matters that did need further teaching. In the case of, and by the way, the case of the Samaritans was unique. There's a little detail here I need to mention because 
And you read this, they didn't actually receive the Holy Spirit immediately they believed. And that's what the Gentiles normally did. I mean, you read on in Acts, you get to Acts 10 and 11, Cornelius. It's typical, it's normative. He received the Holy Spirit on conversion before he was baptized. That's the norm in Scripture. I mention this because the Samaritans were a special case. We'll come to that. Uh, But you shouldn't build a requirement for some separate, special, second blessing on an exceptional case. Some groups have done that. You know the important thing, if you're struggling with something like this, and I've told you this nearly every visit, but I'm going to keep saying, every time I come in, I'm going to say this to you, never let a scripture you can't understand interfere with one you can understand. If you have trouble with a scripture, use the scriptures that are clear. And on this matter, Romans 8 9 is very clear. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Now, it's not hard to understand that. So that's how you build that. So what was going on in Samaria? Well, it was a special case in that it involved waiting for the apostles to come from Jerusalem. It was special because the Samaritans needed to accept the apostles from Jerusalem. You see, this long-standing repudiation of Jerusalem, it had to be given up. They had to, to, to recognize what Jesus said to the woman at the well. <coughs> it was historically true because of the lineage of Christ that salvation is of the Jews. That was a tough thing for them. But you see, Samaritans, like all true Christians, like you and I, they needed to accept the authority of the apostles and the inspiration of all the Old Testament. Didn't have a New Testament. But this is a very important thing because, you see, Christianity, our faith is rooted in real historical events and it depends on the recognition of the authority of all Scripture. And for us, of course, that means recognizing the divine inspiration of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And of course, that was an issue the Samaritans needed to see all the Old Testament as a word of God. And it's no good witnessing if you don't have that foundational fact. Otherwise, you're trading opinions like I talked about this morning. Um, You see, in the church and personal life, true believers always seek to do what the Bible tells them to do. Why? Because this is the Word of God. If you don't believe that, then you don't have a foundation. So it's absolutely crucial in your witness. And, and this is, of course, why things move forward for Philip. And, and I have to say the wonderful conclusion of Philip's mission to Samaria, I love verse 8, there was great joy in that city. It was, a, it was a transformed city because, of course, the gospel brings joy even in troubled times. And, oh man, when Micah talked about the drugs and the crime and the sin and the decadence in Peru and then said, what about the cities of North America? Your heart goes out to people just struggling. When, when he talked about that they had a fornicator get drunk or fight, as if we didn't see that in our cities and all the gangs and so forth. And I think, oh, would to God we could see joy in the cities of North America. Well, of course, that's why they need the gospel. That's why we have to be more active because of the joy that Jesus brings. And, of course, a revival would mean a transformation. 
So that was the result. The gospel brought joy to this city. But there's another very obvious lesson from Philip, and it's very important. What Philip showed wonderfully was a, a flexibility. He was always ready to follow God's leading. I mean, you think of it. I think this is astounding. Things were going so well for Philip in Samaria. This difficult place, revival took place. Great blessing. And then in verse 26, he gets this surprising turn of events. Philip suddenly directed by an angelic visit. You go off to a desert road in Gaza. Man. I mean, I think, what, what's going on here? But you see, Philip demonstrates his courage and obedience. I think verse 27 is so lovely. I'd be saying, oh, Lord, you've got to, got to understand what's going on here. No, no, he arose and went. <laughs> he arose and went. Not complicated, is it? By the way, don't downplay the ministry of angels just because we don't see them. We often talk about it, but Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who obtain salvation. So the ministering spirits working for the sake of those who to obtain salvation. We don't see that. We don't talk about it much, but I think I've had a God. <laughs> I believe in God and angels. I've had so many close calls. And it's from death when a bus nearly hit me in Brussels, fell off a cliff in northern India. I was supposed to have gone several times. I gotta believe in God. In fact, I started life as a four-pound stillborn. Do you know that? They had to put me on the table because I wasn't breathing to look after my mother in those days. I don't know. No incubators. Don't worry too much about it. And mother, I don't remember it, but mother said I fell off the table. And how, how did that happen? I was wet and slippy, of course, and the doctor unbelievably said to my mother, you know, he was too lazy to breathe. <laughs> she always told me, I don't know. I, my idea is an angel flipped me off. <laughs> but I do believe, uh, joking apart, I, I can't explain that. It's my mother's story. I know that I've had a presence with me, the Holy Spirit, of course, as a believer, and I take seriously these little verses about uh, ministering spirits serving for the sake of those who obtain salvation. However, that's a sideline. What I like about Philip is he got this word and he just didn't ask for an explanation. He didn't protest things are going. He didn't talk about all the follow-up work that needed to be done, all the converts that needed to be looked after. I mean, he was being asked to go to the out in the sticks to some empty stretch of road. I mean, he might have thought, what I tended to think several times in my life, that I'm central to the work. And he might have thought, I'm a key man in Samaria. Um, this is going to damage the work. If, if I'm suddenly moved to some obscure, unknown desert road, it's not going to be good for the Samaritans. Because it is tempting to believe that blessing depends on us. I've done it. Stories I won't tell you, but I tell you. I've felt many times, and Philip might have felt that, from a strategic point of view, this move didn't seem to be a wise move. But Philip just did it because God called him to do it. That's not a complicated lesson. You know, it's so important when if you pray to the Lord for his guidance, 
that that you let the Lord guide, that you don't do all the talking, that you don't say, you know, you're like the guy who fell in love with Mary, so he prayed for guidance and said, Lord, just guide me. He said, well, I should marry, but let it be Mary. <laughs> we, we can't tell a God. We have to listen to him so we're sure that it's the Lord calling the shots. You see, we need to realize that our sovereign God often does strange and inexplicable things. And our responsibility is to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and not try to rationalize them. I, I've lived so long that I could fill the night just telling you stories about God's guidance in my life. I mean, you can't live as long as I have without knowing that. And uh, Just yesterday, a brother here said, would you come to India for a couple of months? We could do lectures in the university and we could do gospel outreach and you could minister in the assemblies. Oh, my, I've been to India two or three times. I've been to China. Those days are over, I thought. And then I said to Jamie, we've got to pray about this. I mean, who am I to say, oh, no, no, I'm passport to India. Man, all oh, the Indian food, it'll upset James Stewart. Can I tell you, I can't have all this stuff. We I, I, I have no idea whether I'll go to India at the end of the year or not. I could say, oh, I'm all busy, I'm booked up. But I've got to listen to God. Maybe he's saying, you think you're past it? Like Malcolm said, don't you retire, go. Either I'll see, I'll tell you if I come back next year what happened. But I've got to practice what I preach, so I'm going to have to listen to God about this. You see, the problem is, unknown to Philip, and unknown to me, God may be preparing a situation I don't know about. I mean, God, in this case, wanted this mass evangelist, effective guy, to go to one seeking man. Now, God knew Philip was the man for the job. This was only one fellow. He said, well, I can't leave all this big work for one man. But this is God's interest in every individual. And he was a special case. And we can learn a fantastic amount about personal one-to-one -one witness from Philip's response to God's prompting. You see, God goes out of his way for one seeker. Might be your neighbor. Who knows? But you think of the results if Philip had been like I tend to be saying, oh, no, I'm up to my neck in, in, in food distribution, what he was doing, or oh, the widows need me. Uh, my first response to say to this brother is, oh, I'm all booked up. I go, no, no, there's no way. But you can't say that. You see, the reality is, and this is the big lesson, Philip knew that he was simply a link in the chain and that God was directing the whole thing. And he knew what we've got to recognize. It's a huge privilege to be a partner with God, to be a voice of God, to share the gospel with those that need it. And this is the truth. Philip knew that the only place of blessing is a place God wants us to be. Get that. The only place of blessing is a place God wants you to be. So don't miss it. Now, I've got to go back to a topic I touched on. We're up to number four. We're doing okay. He gave me lots of time, but here we are. Number four, we must be prepared to go to everybody and anybody without prejudice. And this is a very important case. Realize this Ethiopian government official, he was a big shot over in Ethiopia, but he wouldn't be accepted in the temple 
He wouldn't be accepted by the Jews. Man, he was, he was black and a eunuch. And when he got to the temple, he, he went seeking at the temple and there'd be a big notice that said a barrier, no foreigners allowed. I mean, that was a tough thing to see. And the attitude of the Jews to, of the Jews to eunuch, it summarized Deuteronomy 23.1, no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting can enter the assembly of the Lord. Man, he was marginalized. This is a great example to reach out to the marginalized. You know, I know Christians. I don't know if there's any here, but I know some. They won't speak to anyone in the gay community. So they'll never be able to share the gospel with people who so desperately need the joy Christ brings to them. Now you can't follow Jesus and, and, and take that view. Because if Acts teaches us anything, it teaches us no barriers must re- remain between any needy sinner and a welcoming Lord because he's not willing that any should perish. And don't turn your back on really sinful people. Jesus never did. It's so tempting to do it. It's so hard sometimes. But this is the word, and I love it. Peter's eagerness, not Peter, I'm talking about Philip. I get so many messages. If I say Peter, I mean Philip. <laughs> Philip, verse 30, he ran to the chariot. He wasn't hesitating, holding back. He's a eunuch, he's black. And what did he do? Now, this is the rerun of, tom- of um, this morning. We've got to use scripture. We've got to know and use scripture to answer the questions unbelievers are asking. So Philip rushes to the chariot and verse 30, he made a great start. What an example in witnessing with a good question. Do you understand? You see, Philip knew Isaiah well enough to get right into explaining it, but he started where the guy was. The lesson of this morning. It began, verse 35, at that very passage and told him what? The good news about Jesus. Right where the guy was, he started there and told him the gospel. You see, I have a problem. Jane knows more about it than you can imagine. But I I like to do all the talking. So if I get to to be talking to someone, I unload the the deal on them. They're an unsaved seeker. (laughs) Well, they don't have time to let me know sometimes where they're coming from and what they believe. And so I try and start it. No, no, I should wait. Wait. We need to do that. This little cartoon reminds me, there's Lucy. She said, so what do you think? He said, well, what does it, does it make? You never listen anyway. She said, I was just making conversation. Well, he said, when you make conversation, you, you have to listen too. She said, you do? <laughs> well, that's the lesson. Philip listened, started where he was. You know... You've got to be listening and responding to the things that they want to know. I know we said that this morning, but the unsaved need to hear what the Bible says about what's concerning them, and it needs to be explained by someone who believes it and understands it. But of course you've always got to be moving that conversation forward to get to the central thing. You've got to share the good news about Jesus. So you, you have to be moving it along. But, but beware of just giving that truncated, simplistic version of the gospel that you've memorized without even listening to their questions because 
we need to get somewhere and I want to get to number six because Philip went all the way there. We need to, in the end, be honest and stress the need for total commitment and a willingness to be open about our faith. You see, it's a great chapter. This Philip went well beyond Isaiah 53. I mean, Isaiah 53 was central to explaining why Jesus came, why he gave his life. But Philip went on and he talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about the importance of bearing testimony in baptism. And in fact, when you read this chapter, you realize, look at verse 12. But when they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Like he talked about the kingdom, he talked about baptism. Now I've got to tell you, in my own assembly, in fact, the only time I hear baptism mentioned these days is in a baptismal service. And we don't have as many of those as we should. Very important to tie that in. I'm not first thing, of course. Uh, and we've got to delicately move things along. But do you think about this eunuch? He was Chancellor of the Exchequer in Ethiopia. He was traveling with a significant staff. It, it must have crossed his mind that he needed to be careful and uh, perhaps he should be a secret disciple. I mean, he'd been in Jerusalem. He'd seen how the Christians were persecuted, but there was no suggestion of secrecy. There never is in the New Testament. Baptism... He wanted to be baptized right away. And it's just this reminder that baptism and public commitment, that was a New Testament norm. We don't actually read of any unbaptized believers in the New Testament. Not that they're not saved, don't get me wrong. And of course, you can't throw in baptism very quickly as Philip did in this case. I mean, you've got to be asking gentle questions, leading things forward. The best you can often do is... Um, just say, well, how would you like to know the peace and joy that we've talked about? Something like that. Because we've got to be gentle and understanding. Now, I've only got a little bit of time, but I want you to get something here. This Ethiopian eunuch, you imagine how he felt. I like to put my mind in the mind of these people. He'd been rejected in Jerusalem. Philip, gone. And he's reading on in Isaiah. Uh, and, and he gets to what it, we call chapter 56. And this is what he reads. It reads, Let no foreigner who knows the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. Listen to this. To eunuchs who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls, Within the temple and its walls, a memorial and name better than sons or daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. What an astounding promise to a eunuch who couldn't have kids. Man, no wonder verse 39 says he went on his way rejoicing. Oh Lord, this is a wonderful blessing. He went on his way and now, of course, he had the help of the Holy Spirit. He began to experience the promise of Jesus, John 14, the help of the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him. He'll teach you all things. And he read on, and you think, how did he know this stuff? Well, he went on, taught by the Holy Spirit. And when you get a new convert, trust the Spirit. 
I could tell you stories about that, but we haven't time. But let me tell you this, because I want to get to the end very quickly now. What happened to Philip? Well, he started out giving food to widows. But if you go on to Acts 21, you'll find out he became a full-time evangelist. And he settled down in Caesarea. And he met a lovely, beautiful woman there. Don't tell me that in the scripture, but... I guess he fell in love <laughs> and he, he settled down and he had a family and 20 years later 20 years later you read Philip travelled about preaching the gospel in all towns well this isn't 20 years later until he reached Caesarea but this is 20 years later Acts 21 Paul says we stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist one of the seven still evangelising and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now I'm leaving Malcolm to sort out the daughters who prophesied. We won't get into that. But I do want us. This was a Christian family. Man, what Micah said yesterday was so important. There was a man who settled down and loved his wife. And he raised his daughters to serve the Lord. And this is a big point because he was consistent. Oh yeah, Master Evangelist, famous Philip, obedient he witnessed by his life an example at home. It wasn't just words in public. He was consistent over the years, and that's what counts, consistency. What a lesson for us. We have to finish. I'm not going to talk about that. Just let me summarize. May the Lord help us to learn from Philip, and this is it. Be obedient and courageous. Focus on proclaiming Christ. Be flexible, always ready to follow God's leading. Be prepared to go to everybody and anybody. Use scripture to answer the questions the unbeliever asks. Emphasize the importance when you get a convert of testifying by baptism. But most important, the bottom line, always be consistent, witnessing at home, as well as in public, as much by our love and balanced lifestyle as by our words. It's no different from this morning. And I'm not a great example. I'm only telling you what the Bible teaches. I've got a wife here now, so I've got to be careful what I say about all I do at home. But that's it. Philip, 20 years later, he did the job. May God help us to do it. That's the message of the day. Just do it. Just seven, let's uh, just pause. I want you just to pray yourself that Lord would help you to do something about this and then we'll give a little benediction. Father, do hear our prayers that we would witness more effectively for you. We thank you for these examples. Oh Lord, what great men. Stephen and Philip. Glorious witnesses. But we are called in our generation, our generation, to do a job for you. And we know we fail, Lord. We just pray for your help. Bless this church as they gather to pray, as the elders visit, as we have neighborhood barbecues as we try to use these resources on the table. Help us, Lord, to do it effectively and bring blessing. 
Oh Lord, in your mercy, pour out blessing upon this local church and give them fruit and give them energy and courage as they witness for you for the glory of Christ in whose name we commend their efforts to you. Amen.